Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. I record this podcast from my home office, and uh, occasionally some noise can interrupt uh, the, uh, the, the flow of the podcast. If it comes towards the beginning, I tend to stop and start over again. But if it comes towards the end, and I'm happy with what's happened so far, I just let the sound interfere as it might. And those of you who heard last week's episode of the podcast know that our dear beloved dog, Sammy, made her presence known very loudly and clearly at the end of the the recording of the podcast. And I promised that I would say something about that noise, uh, that barking, uh, at the beginning of this week's podcast, and I will. As Moses is discussing with the people what is going to happen in the 10th plague, which is upcoming, telling them to prepare for leaving Egypt and to prepare for the turmoil that will take place during the 10th plague, the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptians. Moses says in Exodus eleven seven, not a dog shall snarl at any of the Israelites. Clearly, that's a metaphor, the fact that the Israelites will not be threatened at all by what is happening in the Egyptian community. But there's a beautiful commentary on it. And I love this commentary because the truth is that most rabbinic commentaries that mention dogs mention them in not so great a light. And being a dog lover, uh, I I find those difficult to, to appreciate. This one I love because it talks about the sensitivity of dogs. The commentary goes like this. When a dog smiles and laughs, and we all know that dogs smile, When a dog smiles, it means that they sense Elijah the prophet someplace, that redemption symbolized by Elijah, that redemption is in the air, that good things are about to happen. And when a dog cries, it's because that dog senses, according to this tradition, the angel of death. Something sad, something destructive is going to happen. So in this particular case goes this commentary. The dogs didn't know what to do. They wanted to smile and laugh because Elijah, because redemption was coming to the Israelites. But they also wanted to cry because the Egyptians were suffering. And so they didn't snarl. They didn't make any noise. They just sat silently. So in this particular case, this commentary, this Agadah, this legends, is interpreting this verse not just as a statement about how the Israelites would not be harmed, but how conflicting that night was, a night of joy, of redemption, and anticipation, and a night of mourning and sadness, depending on which part of the community you were looking at. And so the dogs remained silent, torn between the two. There's no question that the night of Passover is a night of celebration a celebration of freedom, a celebration of redemption. But in two ways, we remind ourselves that not all is happy in this story. First of all, we talk about the pain of slavery because we're supposed to begin the story talking about our ancestors being slaves and then proceeding to the redemptive part. And the second way that this conflict is reflected is in the beautiful tradition we have regarding the recitation of the 10 plagues. Now, I want to interrupt what I'm saying by by making a comment that I believe I made someplace else in this podcast maybe a couple of years ago, which is that I think the Seder should be fun. 
I think it should be enjoyable. I think the kids should have a good time. We should we should play games. We should do all of these things, especially if there are kids there or if adults want to act like kids a little bit. But in my mind, it is absolutely horrendous to make any games out of the 10 plagues. And I used to do it, I have to say. Uh, we used to do all kinds of things relating to the 10 plagues, sing the song, play with uh, toy frogs and things. I, I, I just think that's a horrible idea because this part of the Seder is so serious. And we say how serious it is in two ways. First of all, we think about the plagues that we face in our lives and coming out of, not completely out of, but starting perhaps to move away from COVID in an intense way. We can think about that, but we think of all of the plagues which take place in our society, whether it's gun violence or whether it's poverty, etc. So that's one reason. And the second reason is because we're supposed to feel, at least to some extent, the, 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 the sadness for the suffering of Egyptians, and if you want to just say innocent Egyptians, the children, that's fine, but the Egyptians in general. And so what we do is we take the full cup of wine that we have, preparing for the second of four cups of the Seder, and we dip our finger, our little finger, into the wine cup and take out 10 drops, as we mentioned each of the plagues, to reduce the amount of wine in our cup to show that since a full cup is a sign of joy, our joy has been lessened by the pain of the Egyptians that they suffered. Again, if you want to just say the innocent, that's fine, but whichever. This is, so th this brings up many questions. I want to just share a few thoughts on this ritual. First of all, can we really take such a major idea, such a significant idea, and reduce it to a simple symbolic act who do we think we're fooling? We have a little less wine in our cup, but we really sad. But if you think about it, so that could be said about so many rituals at the Seder. I'll just compare it to one, the eating of maror, the eating of bitter herbs. We eat bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of our ancestors in slavery. I love horseradish, so it doesn't really bother me to eat the bitter herbs. But even if you don't like it, it's such a transitory thing. It's there, you, it's gone, you drink a glass of water and you forgot that you ate it. But still, that is the power of symbolism. So I don't worry about the fact that this is a simple symbol because so much of the Seder is about symbolism. It's what we put into it that's important. And if this encourages us to think about the suffering of the Egyptians and the pain associated with the whole story, then it's done its job. Second thing to think about, there are a lot of people who question, why didn't God bring the Israelites out of Egypt without the plagues? Why were the plagues necessary? There are a couple of traditions about that. First of all, the Torah itself says that God wanted to show God's power, and that was done through the plagues. And the second idea is that, in fact, it was the Egyptians who brought the plagues, especially the last several, on themselves by with Pharaoh being obstinate and refusing to let the Israelites go. For the first several plagues, the Torah says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So he had the opportunity to let the people go before the slave, before the plagues and after the first few and didn't do it. So therefore, the idea is that the Egyptians, in essence, brought the plagues upon themselves. But now let's look back at how God reacts to it. According to a beautiful legend, when the people of Israel cross the sea and are finally, and the Egyptians are drowned in the water behind them, and the Israelites are, in fact, now on the way to freedom. 
in, in the promised land. The tradition is that the angels wanted to sing songs to God, of God of songs of praise. And God says, according to this legend, the works of my hands, the Egyptians, the works of my hands are drowning in the sea and you want to sing praises to me? So God, it's not a matter perhaps of regret, but it's a matter of recognizing where this had gone and how far it had gone and how much the Egyptians were suffering. It's interesting though that the Israelites sing the song of celebration and it's accepted that the, this is a, a good thing to do, to sing songs of praise to God. And in fact, it's such a good thing that we say it as part of every service, Shiratayam, the song of the sea. And in fact, uh, we, do, um, it, it, we, we read this as a reading for the seventh day of Passover, the, the, the reading from the Torah, the, the, the crossing of the sea. So the question is, why do we feel comfortable singing these praises to God when God told the angels not to? And the answer is, I think, because we're human beings. And, and it's natural as human beings to celebrate the downfall of an enemy and the defeat of evil, even if it comes at a cost, as it always does. But perhaps by taking the wine out of our cups and remembering the pain of the Egyptians, for that one moment we allow ourselves to not be the human beings, but to rise above our, our humanity, so to speak, and reach up towards more divine heights, more spiritual heights, and be able to separate ourselves from our own feelings at that moment as human beings and feel as God did, the pain of others drowning, suffering, even if it was evil they brought along them, they brought uh, uh, on themselves and even if we're celebrating redemption. So at that one moment, we, we try to be more than just a human being. We try to reach up to some greater spiritual height. I do believe we have to remember the pain of the Egyptians, keeping in context, of course, the fact that they had the opportunity to let the Israelites go earlier and all of the other things that we said. So I don't want to forget that, but I want to add another thought. And I don't do this to minimize that idea, but just have us look at it from a different perspective as well. Maybe in reducing the wine in our cups, if we can't muster up the real godlike sympathy for the death of the Egyptians, we can look at it as reminding ourselves of the sacrifice made by people so that their own people could be free. How we celebrate freedom, but we cannot forget the loss that the people who are freed had suffered on the way to freedom. Doesn't matter whether we're talking as a, as a Bostonian, by birth, I'll talk about the Boston Massacre and other events that took place during the Revolutionary War, where soldiers died for what would become our freedom. We think about Martin Luther King as the example, but so many other martyrs of the Civil Rights Movement who gave their lives so that there could be real change in this country. We think about those who fought in World War II against the Nazis and, 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 and the and, and their collaborators and their uh, allies, and in fact, gave their lives for our freedom. We think of any time where we think about freedom, we realize how hard it is to gain, and it never comes easily, and it always comes at a loss, even for 
the people who, who, who successfully fight for their people's freedom. So if you have trouble thinking of this in terms of pain for the Egyptians, I hope you don't. I hope you can think about what that means and think about how we have to move beyond celebrating the downfall of our enemies, even if they are representing evil, as the Egyptians are said to have done in this particular case. I do think we have to think about that and rise to greater heights. But if that becomes too difficult, you can also think about the pain and the loss that people have suffered when they fight for freedom and that in our joy of being free, we need to at least recognize the fact that freedom comes at a price, even when it is achieved. Until next time, thank you.